introduce Fiona, who uh, you've been with us right from the very beginning. Um, and you've preached a number of times, and each time it's been awesome because God has spoken through you and really met with us. And so we um, don't don't feel uh, a pressure. We actually want to hear from God, not from you. But you get to be the person that kind of channels that or whatever delivers that. So um, so without further ado, um, I'll hand it over. Hello. I'm a bit tired and I'm a bit shaky at the moment. Um, I'll probably be reading off my notes quite a bit. Thanks, Lyndall. So forgive me if I'm reading most of this. But first of all, thanks, Ralph and Ori, for asking me to talk today. Um, over the past few weeks, I've really wondered why I said yes, but <laughs> here I am. Okay, now I've struggled to choose a scripture to preach about today because these guys said to me, just choose anything out of this week's reading, which is Matthew 26, 44 to Mark 2. And there's a lot of big stuff in that. It really overwhelmed me. I mean, we've got things like the betrayal of Jesus by Judas, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, the disciples' behaviour. I'm just getting under the fan a bit more. Um, Peter's denials the power of the cross, the crucifixion and the resurrection, the Great Commission, Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist, and Matthew 26, 67, which simply punched me in the heart. It reads, then they spat in his face and struck him with their fists. So that was the dilemma. What do I do? Most of these include some of the most famous and profound events in history for God's church, for God's plan, and for the future of the human race. Also, there are some great insights into the behaviour of Jesus, of Jesus' disciples and followers in all of these momentous events. So what did I choose? Any guesses? Seriously, any guesses? A bit about the slapping in the face? No. Do you want a clue? Okay. Oh, yes. The whipped bit? No. No, not that bit either. But here's the clue. I have a garden at home that I love. I've got a quarter acre block to play in. When a plant, a shrub or a tree is not doing well, whether it's wilting, dying, or showing signs of disease, there are two things I can do. First, fertilise. Second, prune. Yes, I give it poo. Chook poo, horse poo, cow poo. Even worm poo. And it brings life back out of the plant. It brings the life out. And if necessary, I have to cut off um, branches or leaves that are damaged or diseased. This enables it to grow healthy, fresh leaves and branches. Then I give it a good watering and I pretty well leave it to itself and in a week it's better. So any more guesses about what I'm going to preach about today? Don't say pooing and pruning. Pardon? No. 
No. Okay, I'll tell you. It's the disciples' behaviour. We're going to focus on Peter, good old Peter, and his denials of Jesus before that famous rooster crowed. So, the big question, of course, is what happened to the rooster? No, no, I'm joking. <laughs> okay, let's pray. Lord, I love that you created humour to enable us to hear and learn some of the harder things in life through scripture. So please bless the words of my mouth and plumb the depths of our hearts as we hear from you today, not me. Amen. Okay, there are multiple scriptures that describe the behaviour of the disciples and the followers of Jesus in the last week of the reading plan. But we're going to look at a few specific ones concerning Peter. And I've printed them out and I've asked Ralph and Ori to read them out. Have you got that sheet? Yeah, cool. Yes, please, Ralph. Yes, please, Ralph. Oh, that's much better. Then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. That's Jesus. Could you not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch so that you will, you, you will, watch so that you will and pray not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another servant girl uh, said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words, of Jesus, the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So they're the scriptures for today, and just think about that. Peter, he's been with Jesus for three years in his presence, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the first sign of trouble, he fears, they fled, they, all of them abandoned Jesus. They betrayed him, they struck out in violence, denied him three times, stayed at a safe distance to watch, and hid, fearing their own safety. And still he loved them. He fulfilled God's plan and commissioned these same disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. So what does this say to us? There's hope. There's always hope despite our failures, even because of our failures. How? Well, looking at Peter's failures. There were many during his time with Jesus. His personality primed him for this. He was bold and brash, reactive, passionate, adventurous, opinionated, and very often first. Not that these are necessarily bad traits, but without Christ ruling your heart and mind, 
they can spell disaster. Jesus told Peter how to protect himself. Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation, he said. Twice he said it, and three times Peter failed to do it. And in Jesus' greatest need in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter did not keep watch. He did not pray, he slept. So our bold and brash Peter fell. And Peter's painful failure was astonishing. It was worth recording in all four Gospels because he had witnessed and experienced Jesus through miracles, through power, the transfiguration, healing, deliverance, and more. And he boldly and publicly declared, you are the Messiah. And he proudly declared, even if all fall away, I never will. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Peter's pride was expressed and it was just before he was tested. In chapter 26 from verse 35 to 70, there's a change in Peter. Bold Peter is now scared Peter. He falls into sin. He is cowardice, evasive, and he lies. In verse 70, you were with Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. Peter said loudly, so many heard. He so disgraced himself. In verse 72, he said, I don't know the man. He lied. Again, he spoke loudly, so many in the crowd heard. And the more Peter spoke, the more obvious his Galilean accent was. In verse 74, he began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know the man. He lied again and cursed himself. Like Peter, our sins arise from unsuspected qualities within us and come out when we're squeezed. Like Moses the meek was squeezed and anger came out. Solomon the wise was squeezed and folly came out. Sin must quite often be expressed to be eradicated. Peter was to become a leader of the church at its start and he would have misled the church if his pride and his self-confidence and his self-reliance weren't rooted out and dealt with. The destruction, their destruction brought shame on the, and weakness to Peter, but his response changed things. What's our response to sin? How do we deal with it when it's exposed? Do we, like Judas and like Adam, try to cover it up, justify it, attempt to undo it, blame others, pass the responsibility, pass the buck, run, hide, deny or ignore it? Our own strength tries and fails. Not good outcomes. But when that famous rooster finally crowed, Peter remembered what Jesus had predicted and he saw his sin. He accepted responsibility for it and he wept bitterly. His bitter tears represent his repentant heart. He loved Jesus passionately. He was aware his own failures only added to the tragedy of the whole night. Facing the truth of his sin, began a change in him and a change for good. Peter's humble admission of sin enabled him 
to be stripped of it. So when we face our own sins, we can often feel defeated and tired, downtrodden and disappointed in ourselves. We ask for forgiveness and say, I'm never doing it again. I'm never going to do that again. I won't do it. Then we do. A minute, a day or a year later, we fall, we fail, we falter. We feel helpless because we thought we could beat this thing, this thing called sin. But we can't, not on our own. We only have to read Romans 7.15 to 25 to know that. And I'm going to get Lyndall to read it because it's a real tongue twister. She's the speech. And I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you. It is a tongue twister, isn't it? Peter had to deal with his pride and his mouth. I'll die for you, he said. He boasted it. Peter was well-liked, he was successful, he was a leader, he was confident. Peter got things done, but he also failed. Jesus warned him, watch and pray. But Peter was too confident in his relationship with Jesus and his own abilities. So he didn't listen. In fact, he countered Jesus by challenging him with his I'll never statements. And he disobeyed Jesus by sleeping instead of praying and watching. It was Jesus' most difficult hour, and Peter knew it. Peter also had preconceived ideas about the kingdom, and this influenced his responses and his reactions. For example, when Jesus was arrested or about to be arrested, Peter struck out in violence with the sword, probably hoping to initiate a victorious fight for the kingdom. He cut the ear off a priest's servant, now, a priest's servant couldn't hold that position if he were in any way physically impaired, imperfect. And Jesus knew this, so he showed his compassion on this man and he restored the ears so that he could retain his position and his life. So when Jesus surrendered and was arrested and taken, and Peter, Peter was stunned and afraid, it wasn't happening how he thought it would. He fled and the rest is history. So Peter failed, 
but he wasn't a failure. His faith prevailed. Jesus had prayed for it. So his pride died and his faith grew. So the book of Acts, the book of Acts comes after the four Gospels and in it, Peter's a changed man, changed man. He is the first to declare publicly Jesus' resurrection. He's the leader of the church and he writes two letters in the New Testament, one and two Peter. Peter's, Peter portrays failure at the highest level of the church. So if Peter can fall from grace, anyone can. Matthew's gospel shows how easily it happens. The steps are clearly depicted as a warning to all. However, the gospels, all of the gospels, describe how Peter's repentance is immediate. So just as failure is possible for all, so too is repentance for all. Peter's prompt repentance arose from a passion he had for Jesus, his love for Jesus, nurtured from a relationship, a daily relationship over three years. And his example shows us, as read in Romans, that it is better for us to be a sinner and sin and know it than to be a sinner and sin and not know it. Peter's denials and repentance changed him. His prior sin of boasting didn't, but it led up to the others. He could, he could even have mistaken his boasting for a virtue, but that would have mean he was self-deluded and was in, when, he was, when he said he was incapable of die, denying Jesus. Sorry. But just as pride underlies everything evil, humility underlies everything good. Even Adam, like Peter, was susceptible because of his heart condition. Both fell into sin when they were tempted. But unlike Adam, who hid, then passed the blame onto Eve and God, Peter repented and was transformed. Both incidents left God standing alone in a garden. Both instant, incidents were instrumental in the state of the millennia that followed. Two people, two choices, one life, one death. So pride, this is what got Peter. This is what gets, it, gets us all. It's the quiet pleasure of self-satisfaction. And it's man's deepest sin. It's the necessary condition for every other temptation. And it comes from gazing at oneself and not at God. The Latin word for sin translates to curve in on oneself so that you end up looking only at yourself. And listen to this. Pride can be so subtle, it was even concealed in Adam's unfallen state. That serpent in Genesis, described as most cunning, the one who deceived Adam, well, he's still able to sense a soul when a soul has succumbed to pride in the heart. We must watch and pray. The essential point to take from this is, let's begin all life, our everyday life, with repentance, so we can respond like Peter and be changed and transformed and resurrected, not like Adam and die. So what is repentance? Literally, the Greek translation in the New Testament 
is simply to perceive afterwards, implying change, not simply a change of mind, but such as to turn completely from it and its effects for the better. The dictionary says, contrition for past conducts, conduct, and to choose or seek change for oneself to be better, to be good. And the Latin, regarding feeling, regarding feeling sorrow for prior thoughts and acts. So our behaviour, we have a choice. And that choice is not to not misbehave, but to repent when we do. The Message Bible by Eugene Peterson says it really well in Matthew 11:28. Learn the unforced, unforced rhythms of grace. I knew I'd blow that. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Those rhythms include falling, failing, faltering and repenting being resurrected, that is getting up changed and continuing on. It's, it's not easy, but it is essential to a successful life in Jesus. So now we're just going to take a moment for the Holy Spirit to speak to each of us about our behaviour. So I'm just going to pray. I just hope that we can pray quietly and ask him to re reveal anything we need to repent of. We'll just take a moment. So thank you, Holy Spirit, for your work in us. And speak to us now, please, Lord. Okay, so to finish off today, we're going to pray together out loud the words that are up on the screen. Okay, so all together. Lord, help us to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another because you oppose the proud, but give grace to the humble. Help us humble ourselves under your mighty hand, that you may lift us up in due time. We cast all our anxiety on you, Lord, because you care for us. Penned by Peter, the changed Peter. So, is this a, is this a resurrection moment for you? Is, there t is it time for a change in you? Is there something that the Holy Spirit has moved or brought to bear? If it is, and you'd like someone to pray with you, please come and ask Ralph or Ori or myself. Um, we'll pray for you either over the seat or where you are, or ask someone you're comfortable with or the person beside you to pray with you. Okay, that's all, so thank you. <laughs> 